Have you read the book? I, I get crickets. Nobody's read the book, huh? You're reading it now. Okay, well, give us a review next week. Now, Prince Harry spilled more British tea than a certain band of revolutionaries did 250 years ago. And the results could be as upsetting to this monarchy as it was to King George III back then. And since his controversial exit from the British royal family, Prince Harry has become much more open in telling his story. There was a Netflix docuseries, several interviews, and now, of course, his book, Spare, which has smashed all records for uh, first-day nonfiction book sales. He was interviewed on 60 Minutes by Anderson Cooper, and he said, basically, that this book was his way of setting the record straight concerning the tensions that were in his family. Specifically, he said, none of anything that I've written, anything I've included, is ever intended to hurt my family, but it does give a full picture of the situation as we were growing up and also squashes this idea that somehow my wife was the one that destroyed the relationship between these two brothers. I don't think we can ever have peace with my family unless the truth is out there if you can't rely on truth, and I just don't see how peace is possible. The phrases in this statement and throughout his interviews throughout to, to other uh, outlets destroyed the relationship, peace with my family, resonate with all of us because not any of us have had relationships without some troubled waters. And you may, your sympathies may lie with Harry and Meghan. They may lie with William and Kate. They may lie with uh, Charles and uh, Camilla. Or you may just say, I could not care less. <laughs> the point today is that relationships change. They go from this to this. That is the nature of relationships. You'll see on this slide here a text number that you can text. If you have any questions that you'd like uh, Denise to address after the service, because <laughs> I may be out of here again. And uh, if we have time, I hope that you'll take some time to ask any questions about anything uh, that you, that's on your heart. Somebody said there are two stages to a relationship. Stage one, this is fun. Stage two, this really sucks. <laughs> Stage one is when you get to know them. Stage two is, yeah, I know them. Life is full of relationships. It starts out with a relationship. We're conceived out of a relationship. When the baby is born, the baby is introduced to a relationship. My generation and my son's generations it's a shame when you think about the first interaction that baby has with humanity upon entering this world is to be held upside down and whacked on the back. Welcome to the world. This is just a taste of what this life has to offer you. I have read, though, that medical people don't do that anymore. I've read that now then when the baby's born, to get the baby to start breathing, Instead of slapping them on the back, they get a nice warm towel. 
and gently rub their back. I think we're going to have a better generation of people. <laughs> we're all still bitter over being hit. <laughs> there was not a hug. There was a, a slap. But we do. It's all about relationships. We have relationship with our parents, our siblings. I've, I had friends in the first grade. I had an imaginary friend when I was three years old called Timmy. We just like relationships. And uh, we get married. We, we lose those relationships sometimes. And people change. And the thing is, since people are parts of relationships, the relationships change. And sometimes they change for the better. And sometimes they change for the worse. And sometimes they actually die. And that hurts. A breakup is a break. We're broken. And the breakup, whether it's a romantic partner or a friendship or a family member, breakups hurt. Dr. DiNardo, a psychiatrist, says our brain doesn't know the difference between a romantic or a platonic relationship. The reality is, she says, we are attracted to and connect with people during particular times in our lives. If we're doing our best to live consciously and to grow, we have to recognize that that means we might not always grow alongside someone <clears throat> or in the same direction as someone. What originally brought us together is not necessarily the thing that will hold us together. Now. Some of us find other things to hold us together, but some of us don't. And those relationships die. I talked last week at length about the deconstruction, reconstruction um, process that Denise and I started around 20 years ago. And it's an ongoing process. Such an exciting thing to do. But one of the <clears throat> results of that journey when it first began, was the loss of friendships. A lot of people, when we began to verbalize some of our doubts and our questions and our new ways of seeing things and our new ways of thinking, a lot of people cut us off. And we lost several dozen friends through that uh, deconstruction, reconstruction period. And from their perspective... They were just following what they interpreted scripture to mean. And Paul does write this in his letter to the Corinthians. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who calls himself a Christian who is sexually immoral or greedy or an idolater or verbally abusive or a drunkard or a swindler. Do not even eat with such a person. For what do I have to do with judging those on the outside? Are you not to judge those on the inside? Judge those within the church. Well, I wasn't sexually immoral. I was probably greedy. Yeah. I was not verbally abusive. Uh, never been drunk. Well, maybe once. <laughs> uh, a swindler? No. But they circled that idolater. I was an idolater. 
as I wasn't worshiping, worshiping anymore their concept of God. And so according to their understanding of Scripture, it was their duty to shun us. And we were shunned by, as I said, dozens and dozens of people. I'm not sure Jesus would agree with Paul on this, though. Paul says, don't eat with anybody like this. Did I not read somewhere about Jesus and his dining companions? Huh, look what's there. All the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near to listen to Jesus, and the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling. I've heard some of those grumbles and say, this fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So here you have Jesus welcoming sinners and eating with sinners, and you have Paul saying, don't welcome sinners, don't eat with sinners that are in the church. Oh. Remember, Paul was a Pharisee before he became a follower of Christ. You know, I think it could be that this verse in 1 Corinthians 5, the Pharisee was coming out. I don't feel Jesus in that verse. I feel the Pharisee coming out. I've had that Pharisee come out in me too. I've been judgmental and I've cut people off myself. And I have been on both ends of that. Sometimes I feel myself being more judgmental than having grace. The message I received from so many friends through emails and other communications in those days were things, they would send articles to me all the time that I would want to read. It. So it kind of taught me not to send articles to people that I wanted to uh, consider another view but this was a picture of, of one article that they sent a link to. 1 Corinthians 5, why it is necessary and loving not to associate or eat with certain Christians. Hmm. They really thought they were loving me by shunning me. But strangely, I didn't feel the love. There was no conversation. Nobody asked, Philip, how did you develop this idea? What was your journey like? Now, there's no conversation. There was no curiosity. And family members today who disagree with Denise and me on LGBTQ plus affirmation and other theological things, no curiosity. No one's ever asked, tell me about that journey. How you got from where you were to where you are now. Um, and these friends who shunned us, there was no curiosity. There was just judgment. So that's why I'm trying to follow my favorite soccer coach. Be curious, not judgmental. I call that experience that I've had Frexit, friends exiting. The philosopher who woke one of the Proverbs says, there are friends who bring ruin, 
But there are true friends more loyal than a brother. I memorized that verse when I was a kid in the King James Version. You may know it that way too. A man that hath friends must show himself friendly, and there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. This verse is super hard to translate, and if you care about that, you can go to Bible Gateway and look at probably 20, 25 different versions of every Bible verse there is, and you'll see all of these versions differ on how to translate that. It's a good lesson on, on not being too committed to one way a Bible verse uh, puts things and one way that a translation or a version communicates something because the language is so difficult at times to understand. But in essence, in every version of this verse, you have a contrast. Uh, King James, a man that shows himself friendly is the first part. Second part, a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And the contrast is pretty consistent. The contrast is between either casual friends and a close friend. The contrast between hurtful friends and helpful friends. And the contrast between false friends and a true friend. It's interesting that he uses plural friends in the first part and singular friend in the second part. It's hard to have a lot of close friends. And a true friend, a friend that really is helpful, they don't come in bunches sometimes. So what kind of friendship have you experienced? Have you experienced close friends and casual friends? Have you experienced friends that helped you? But also have you experienced friends that hurt you? When you do have friends who hurt you, you may have considered having that Frexit talk to end the friendship. Friendships do end. They end sometimes because the people have a different views of things, misunderstandings, when one person feels unsupported, when there's a breach of trust, when there's an attraction to the partner of a friend, and when there's abusive behavior. And as you process the status of your friendships and the hurtfulness or the helpfulness of your friendships, but especially if your friendship has been, as that one translation, that one version said, uh, it was hurtful and it was cruel and it ruined you, it damages you. Just ask yourself, what's the best thing for my mental and my social and my emotional health to continue or not continue this relationship? Is this a break or a breakup? Maybe my friend and I don't need to break up. Maybe we just need to take a break. The third thing that Denise and I had to learn to ask ourselves about our friends, are we willing to, and I hope we are, to talk to our friends about this, about the misunderstanding? I certainly hope that's the case. And then what I have had to come to, and Denise as well, because we had some super close friends in our past. And unfortunately, or fortunately, I don't know which it is, 
they all were involved in church world. That's our world. And uh, it seemed like when they got mad at the preacher, they not only left the preacher, they left the friend. And so I, I remember my dad, he, he told me one time, and I think he reconsiders that now since he's in heaven. <laughs> but he said, Philip, you really can't have any friends. It's a pretty lonely life. He said, Philip, the moment you have a friend in your church, if you do something that, that upsets them, then you've lost a friend. And he was speaking out of hurt, deep, deep, deep hurt. And uh, he just didn't want his son to experience that same hurt. And I did, though. And it's tough. So what Denise and I have had to do, because we lost some, just, we're like this. We thought we were BFFs, you know. And what, I, what I'm trying to learn to do today is ask myself about those relationships. For what in those relationships can I be thankful? Because there were some really good experiences in those relationships. And be grateful for those. That was a huge step for me, and I'm, I feel like I'm getting there in some ways. Another psychiatrist, Dr. Dave, says, as we evolve through different phases of our lives, we may find that we are no longer compatible with certain people or that some interactions leave us feeling drained and depleted. You know, honestly, I didn't feel like these folks depleted me, but I guess they felt like I depleted them in some way. But that helps me. But what I want us to really realize is that regardless of how painful our past friendships and relationships may have been, we are wired for friendships. We are wired for relationships. We need people. That's another song we could sing. Thank you, Barbara Streisand. And people who need people are the luckiest people in the world. Ultimately, people play a critical role in our happiness. There's a Harvard study that started way back in 1938, and it ended in 1970, uh, I think, 73. It lasted 75 years, so do the math. And they followed the lives of 724 men. And they found that good relationships are the key factor in their happiness. Uh, the scientists asked, in essence, what is the one predictor of happiness? And their answer was, over a 75-year study, relationships. Not money, not a certain kind of job, uh, but relationships. And it didn't really matter what kind of relationships. It could have been a romantic one or a friendship or a, uh, just a relationship with someone uh, in a professional way that you might have with a with a physician or somebody like that. But the people who had those deep, meaningful relationships were by far the happiest. One of my favorite passages is from the philosopher, called him, called him the preacher in Ecclesiastes 4. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their hard work. 
If either should fall, one can pick up the other. But how miserable are those who fall and don't have a companion to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they can stay warm. But how can anyone stay warm alone? Also, one can be overpowered, but two together can put up resistance. A three-ply cord does not easily snap. The Dalai Lama, I just love the wisdom of this man, the heart of kindness of, of him when he was uh, with us. He said, well, human beings are social beings. We come into the world as a result of others' actions. We survive here in dependence on others. Whether we like it or not, there's hardly a moment of our lives when we do not benefit from others' actions activities. For this reason, it is hardly surprising that most of our happiness arises in the context of our relationship with others. Folks, we're not independent creatures. We're not substance that can exist alone. In fact, none of creation is. Creation exists in radical relationship whether it be ecosystems or orbits, all creation values connection, relationship. We see this in this news clip from a couple of months ago. Take a look. When I first saw that on the news back in November, told the story of uh, the mom had a, could not do a, a regular birth, so they did a C-section on him, on her, and uh, had to keep the little baby in neonatal, and there was that separation for two weeks, and then they placed the baby back in with the mom, and man, when, when mom saw little hand come out of the blanket the relational connection so obvious so moving and I I believe that God this love you don't have to call God God you can call God a divine spirit you can call God an entity you can call God the force. I like to call God love. And Jesus told the woman that he talked to at the well in Sychar that God is spirit, not male, not female. There's no gender in God. God is love. Love. And if everything emanates from God, and everything will return to God, to love, and doesn't it make sense that everything's connected? Everything is built for connectivity. As this astrophysicist tells us, we are all connected to each other biologically, 
to the earth chemically, to the rest of the universe atomically. Such powerful, powerful truth. Paul says the same thing. This is what God had planned for the climax of all times, to bring all things together in Christ, the things in heaven, along with the things on earth. That love brings together in the spirit of the Christ. It expressed itself in Jesus 2,000 years ago, but continues and, and transcends that expression and brings everything back together. So, where do we stand now in our relationships? If a relationship has hurt you, don't give up on relationships. You are made for them, and you do need them. And I hope for you healing from those painful relationships. And I hope for you in the future, friendships and connections that will encourage and enrich you. Be a friend. Be to others what you would have them to be to you.